Well, welcome uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to those who are also uh, watching online. Uh, just a good time to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. And as we sing those words this morning, there's so much truth to them. Uh, they truly, they truly uh, happen in the lives of people as well, that his power uh, is evident. And uh, so this morning we're going to do things a little bit differently. It is our welcome for, um, for Zach Brown. But uh, I had a chance to chat with a friend of mine, Frank Caprice, this week. And uh, as he shared with me, I just asked him if he'd be willing to share this with, uh, with you as well. And so would you welcome him uh, to the stage this morning? morning, everyone. My name is Frank Caprice. Uh, some of you may know me, some won't. Uh, those of you who know the Caprices probably know the best part of the Caprices, and that would be my wife, Simone, and my two kids, Kohana and Kai. I became a follower of Jesus Christ at the age of 20. Uh, I am now 61 years old, and I want to share a story of 41 years of bondage. Uh, I was blessed by the Lord with a talent to play junior A hockey, win a gold medal with Team Canada, and, and spend 17 years playing in the National Hockey League in Europe and in places around Europe. Throughout that time, I always believed who Jesus was. I always believed he had the power to save. But instead of giving him the glory through the years that I had an opportunity to share his truth, I chose to live a life of bondage and sin, selfishness, and shame. It cost me my first marriage of 12 years. And that sin and that selfishness compounded throughout my life. I tried to make up for it. You know, going on missions trip, leading missions trip, leading Bible studies, taking Bible studies, going to church. But no matter what I did, I couldn't earn my way. And I knew that. I never, ever could believe or accept that God could forgive my vile and disgusting parts of my life because I knowingly and I willingly committed them, knowing that he died for me, knowing that he was real. But my selfishness, my selfishness overtook my life. The more those thoughts crushed me, the more it drew me away from Christ. My guilt, my shame overwhelmed me. I would sit in church. I would sit in Bible studies. And I knew and I believed that everybody here was saved. But there's no way I was saved. And I would head out of here as quick as I could because I didn't want anyone to see what a phony I was. The weight of that guilt and shame overwhelmed me to the point that I knew that when I saw Jesus, his response would be, I never knew you. 
And that crushed me. As a result, I started to isolate myself from my family. And to be quite honest, you almost devastated my second marriage. Putting expectations on my family that they never deserve. Isolating myself from friends and godly people. Knowing that they were worthy to have a relationship with God. But I was not. I was a hypocrite and I didn't deserve to be around them. I didn't, didn't, didn't deserve to be around you. Two years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate and bladder cancer. I accepted it because I believed that I deserved it. And I hear about my dear brother Jesse, who's half my age, whose awful diagnosis, and I'm brokenhearted because Jesse doesn't deserve that. But I felt I did. I accepted it and I wasn't angry at God. I didn't necessarily think it was a payback, but I just felt I deserved it because of the life that I led. During this initial stage in this time, uh, I came in contact with friend, friends from the National Hockey League Players Association. And they have, a, they have a ministry. And every month they have a call. And I would sit on these calls and just sit. And I wouldn't say anything, but I would listen. I didn't feel I deserved to speak. And I saw these men, these men with this great passion for, this Lord, for the Lord and the fire that they had and this astounding faith. And I, and I just prayed to the Lord, Lord, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that? And I prayed, Lord, help me, help me get there. Even then I still believed. He never knew me. And then a few years have passed and cancer's grown into my lymph system, my soft tissue, my bones, my skull. Part of my thought process led me to have a conversation with Mark. I still wasn't angry at God. I accepted it because I thought, rightfully so. But I wanted to talk to Mark about forgiveness because I realized that if I couldn't forgive, that I might not be forgiven. And on... August 29th, my intent for the meeting with Mark was to seek his guidance on how how to handle the situations in my family that I wanted to make clear that I wanted to be, I wanted to get to that area in my life where I could be forgiven, but still doubting it. You know, Mark, Mark asked me 
a little bit about my life. We've known each other for a long time. And, you know, he said, you know, Frank, how do you feel about yourself? And I said, Mark, I've hated myself for years. <coughs> Disgusted in myself. And I'm a scumbag. Mark looked at me. <laughs> Mark looked at me and he said, Frank, you have some flaws in your thinking. He goes, you're putting yourself above God. You're putting yourself above God because God has died for you. He has forgiven you. And that's the truth. And I heard that. I heard that. And I was like, how dare? How dare I put myself above my Savior? How dare. He knew my path of life still died for me. He knew the choices I would make. And he still died for me on the cross for me. And Mark said, you can be secure in that. Mark went on to share some wisdom in relationships about breaking habitual sins and breaking patterns of disappointment in family you know he shared and he said Frank you need to try to start to look at things like I don't need this sin I don't need to put this responsibility on family all, all I need is Jesus and, and, and I can't explain this I can't explain this I just said all, all I need is Jesus and, and it was this overwhelming flow of light and peace and joy. All I need is Jesus. And it finally clicked in. It finally, after 41 years, the bondage was gone. The chains were broken. I sat there for about 15 seconds and suddenly overwhelmed with this light and I stood up and I saw Jesus right then and there, standing beside me. And I remember years ago when Jesse was up here and telling a, of a story and him and Jen shared this song by Cherry Galco. <laughs> Jesus and the blood applied. And I was just, oh, and then I... And I remembered a second song of Charity Gales called There's a New Name Written Down in Glory. And I just, I don't know what happened. There's a new name written down in glory and I just felt the presence of the Lord and he had his arm. He had his arm around me. And he said, Frank, I'm writing your name down. I'm writing it down. Look, it's there. And I just was just blown away that my name is written down in history. And sorry, my name is written down in glory. Thank you, Jesus, for that blood applied. And I just want to share a couple of those words from that song that meant so much to me. I was lost in shame. I could not, I could not get past my blame. Darkness held me down, but Jesus pulled me out. I'm no longer bound. I'm a new creation in Christ. 
The old is gone. There's new life. I live by faith and not by sight. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. I met the author of my story. And he's mine. Yes, he's mine. Sin had let me blind. But Jesus opened my eyes. Now I see the light. Now I'm walking free in victory. And the chorus goes, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. It's no longer Satan telling me who I am. It's no longer my my lies telling me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Lastly, this past week, I received what I would consider the first time on my cancer journey, some pretty devastating news. The cancer has now moved in to my brain. Uh, My brain's bleeding. Uh, And that was the first time in my journey that I fell to the floor in tears. This was just so unexpected, you know. Didn't know where this was coming from, and about a minute into that, God put His hand on me, and 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 it was clear as day. He said, "Frank, do you remember? Do you remember? There's a new name written down in history, and I've got you, and you are mine." And I just stood up, and I I just I just said, "Okay, Lord." Let's, let's go on this journey together. I don't know where it's going to end, but let's go on this journey because the freedom and the light and the glory be his name. I can't. People who, people who know me for 24 years think I'm crazy. <laughs> in my, in my, my journey, I just want to say that there are a lot of people don't need about don't need to know about the specifics of my shame and guilt, but never be fearful of talking to me about it because I'm no longer fearful of sharing. I remember sitting many times at the church at the back of the church saying, hearing people share their testimony saying, Oh yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. But you know what? God knows what I've done. And I am free in Him. Thank you all for your time. And and, and, and from the bottom of my heart, to Him be all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In His name I pray. Thank you. seeing God at work. Uh, when I came back, the uh, I know he's mentioned my name a bunch of times, but to be honest, I don't even really remember what I said that day. I just went and asked, well, Holy Spirit, would you speak? And he does. You don't have that kind of peace unless you've got someone living here and blessed by that. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and man, if something resonates with that story and you're like, 
yeah, Lord, that like I feel like him. Well, he feels the same way about you that he feels about Frank. <laughs> Loves you dearly, is drawing on you. And I don't believe you're here by accident this morning, even if you're not sure why you're here. Um, last night we realized this wasn't a real smooth transition, uh, and it's probably not this morning either. Uh, and that's okay. We just trust that Holy Spirit will speak through uh, all parts of this morning. And maybe you've heard everything you need to hear this morning. Uh, and we're grateful for that. Uh, as we had mentioned earlier, this is our opportunity to welcome Zach to our team. And we just, just decided this morning we would just tag team and share. We found out yesterday that Frank was sharing. And man, I'm glad. So glad. Thank you, brother. Uh, but I'd love to just, uh, if you would, just join me as we welcome Zach to share a little bit as well this morning. It is a uh, pleasure again, Frank, to share the stage with you tonight and um, to hear about everything that God's done in your life. And um, there is uh, a reason for us to celebrate today, and it's got nothing to do with me. And I'm happy about that. It's got everything to do with Jesus and what he does and who he is and also what he is doing and what he's going to do. And um, though our personal details are different, we share a common story. And that Jesus stepped into our life, into our darkness and our fear and our emptiness, and he completely redeemed our lives. That's who he is. He's our redeemer. He's our redeemer. And I'm so thankful to God that he is who he is. And that is so worth celebrating today. And again, just bless you, brother, and um, so just inspired. And man, we serve an awesome, alive God. We really do. And he radically changes lives. And I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it happen around me in my beautiful wife's life as well. And that is a mission that I'm ready to dedicate my entire life to continue to see happen in this church and in our community, in this country. And man, it's the best. Nothing beats that ever because this is what we've been created for, for relationship. This is why Jesus came to redeem a a separated world by sin. And, um, you know, I... um, was walking with the Lord. That's probably my mom. She's late. But anyways, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I uh, had a similar experience. Um, when I was 20 years old, I was in a rough place. And um, the Lord, he came into my life and he touched me. And I knew that I knew that God was real and everything the Bible said about him was true. And I slowly made my way back to him. And it got to a point in my life where I was just still doing my own thing, and God was kind of just still beside me. I haven't let him, I didn't let him totally take the wheel yet of my life. And um, everything built up in my life till I reached um, what I would call like a crossroads in my life. And uh, there was a lot going on in my life. Uh, I was helping lead a youth group in Caledonia, and I was also um, had just been accepted to be an RCMP officer. And uh, I wasn't sure where I wanted my life to go, but I knew that I wanted uh, Jesus to be Lord of my life. And um, I eventually went out to Regina uh, with the RCMP, and when I was out there, 
Um, I felt like I had made the wrong decision. I had buyer's remorse. And I um, had read this book on the way out there. It was called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And I just cried all the way out on this airplane because I realized that the pursuit of God is the most important thing that we can do with our lives. And there's a chapter in it called Following Hard after him. And it's about with everything we have, we wholeheartedly commit to following him, to knowing him, that at any cost to our own personal life, we lay it down because knowing him is the best and most valuable thing we can do in this life. And um, a verse of the Bible just rang through my head the whole week I was out at depot. And it was this, I think we can throw it up on the board, but it's Mark eight thirty six, and it says, um, what's, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul, right? And to me, that means that the most important thing for us is our soul and the condition of our soul. And where is our soul going to be after this, this life? This life, And, you know, we get so caught up in so many different things, so many different avenues, so many different um, places we spend our time and our motivation, our drive and our effort. And they all end in futility if it's not directed towards the Lord and knowing him. It's the most important thing. You know, as I was listening to Frank again, I remembered something my brother Jesse said at a, uh, a meeting. He said, you know, going through his stuff, he said that. I've never felt so close to God, and if cancer is what it took, I'm glad. And I was blown away, and I thought only God could make a person say that. It's so real and tangible to him as well. And, you know, I remember I watched there. I sat and I watched my daddy pass away, and I was there when the funeral guys came and picked him up. And I helped load my dad in the van, and I watched them drive away and I turned around and went back in the house and I saw his slippers and his coats and his mortgage was still there and his truck was still there. Everything was still there, but he was gone now. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing in this world and we need to get hold of that. And the last verse really spoke to me in Mark eight thirty eight. As we continue, as I continued reading that, and I don't know if we can throw it up real quick, but it says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father with his holy angels. I believe with my whole heart that Jesus is coming back. I believe that. And I'm ready and willing to commit my whole life on the fact that even if he doesn't come back in my lifetime, I know that I will still stand before an awesome and holy God one day and give an account for what I've done here. So anyways, every time I've made a decision with my life and I've chose to honor God with that decision, it's been the best decision I've ever made. And including this one, when I met with Mark, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. And I'm so thankful uh, to be here with you guys today. Um, I guess I just want to, while I finish, I just want to say a couple thank yous. And 
Again, like, I'm just so thankful to the Lord. He saved me. He redeemed me. He healed me. He comforts me, and he continues to do so. Um, I'd like to thank my beautiful wife. Um, sometimes I think that, like, God's her favorite, and I'm just along for the ride. I really, really think that. And again, aside from choosing to follow the Lord, marrying you has been the best thing that I've ever done. And um, who else? Um, Mark, of course, just, uh, again, I was praying for a friend in my garage one day, and then Mark called me and went for coffee. So all this has just kind of come from that, and I'm thankful for him and his mentorship. And um, Charlie and Sharon, for everything that you do, for your love and support as well, has been uh, so meaningful for me, and Mr. Bunting as well. And, and honestly, all you guys, I can look at all your faces, and through this whole process, is uh, I just am so thankful for all your love and support through all this. It was a big jump for us. It made sense in my mind, but usually I, I make a decision with my heart before my mind. But anyways, it's, uh, again, just an awesome decision. I just thank you all um, so much uh, for that. And um, my brother and, and my friends here today, just thank you. Love you guys. My branch family, love you guys so much. Um, yeah, it's been an awesome journey. And um, I typically uh, tell a lot of stories about, you know, what's happened in our life. And um, I, I, I seem to think about them a lot. And lately I've been thinking, man, I'm so excited to see what God's going to do next. I'm so I'm just living expectantly to see more lives changed and see God do awesome things so that at the end of all our lives, we can lift up our hands and say, man, that was awesome. We made it. We've seen so much happen. What a life. What a journey. And I uh, can't wait to see what all God has for, for this church in our community. So thank you. Yeah, just grateful to see God's hand at work in lives, and uh, hopefully that's evident this morning. Um, I want to uh, just share a little bit uh, quickly with you this morning. I will shorten this up. Uh, as a result, I know you've got cheesecake, a date with cheesecake. So, um, But uh, uh, over the next two weeks, we wanted to share a little bit about this, and uh, as uh, I, I think... Um, I think it's really important that we set it up this morning uh, as a result. And so, um, you know, we are in a series about the mission of Christ and his church. And that is uh, uh, forefront in our hearts and minds that as a church that we would live on mission. And uh, today I just wanted to title this uh, little chat uh, on mission, uh, Passing the Torch. So if you're taking notes, just jot them down uh, because I'm probably not going to spend a ton of time on the scriptures and things, but just jot them down so you know them. Uh, The reason that we're doing this series is to stir up in the heart of our church of Kingsway that they would live on mission as the church. That we would be on mission realizing we're not just like a little group that meets out in the country, you know, on Sundays. We are the church of Jesus Christ. His bride, his body, his uh, army on the planet. And to the, the thing I want to just address this morning is we believe as a leadership team that this topic is a major, major part of our mission here at Kingsway. Specifically a major part of why we exist. And uh, it is this uh, thing of uh, passing the torch. You know, I, th- I remember the Olympics. Anybody old enough to remember the Olympics here in uh, Canada, 1988 in Calgary? 
I remember uh, watching uh, as people would pass the torch and run with the torch, uh, and 6,214 people ran 18,000 kilometers to uh, finally light that cauldron in, uh, in Calgary. And each one of those people was responsible for their kilometer or their, their, de- their part of the leg, and uh, they would keep it lit, and they would pass it on to the next person, and it would make its way there. And I thought, what a great picture of the church throughout history. Because since the time of Jesus till now, people have decided, I'm going to carry the torch of the gospel and the, and the mission, and I'm going to carry it for my leg of the journey, and then at some point, I'm going to pass it on. I'm going to make sure it stays lit until I can pass it on to the next uh, g- generation. And it has been passed on and passed on and passed on until it has reached us. We are a result of all of their lives going, um, going past. And we can see it through history. We can track how the, how the church has grown all the way through history. But what does it look like in real time? What does it look like for us right now to be running with the torch and then to be passing the torch? And I think a better illustration of that is the 4x100 relay. You know, we had uh, uh, the Canadian national team is, uh, is pretty good. And in 2017, they were actually favored to win. And uh, they were in the Bahamas for the world championships. And as they, they ran, they had Andrew, uh, Andre de Grasse. Is like the, he's the, he's the f- final fastest guy. But he didn't even get to run because the two guys who were uh, uh, ahead of him, one was named Aaron Brown, the other Brendan Rodney, they dropped the baton in their exchange. And as a result, they were disqualified. The race is over. Though they were favored to win, they didn't even get to finish the race. And I thought about that, and I thought about the picture, because if you've watched a relay race, there's a time in the race where as one person's running, they join and they begin to match strides with another. And they run together for a while, and then they pass the baton to that person, and they take it, and then they'll run for a while with some others. And they practice, and they practice, and they practice that passing part, because they all know how to run. But how do we pass it on to the next one, and they prepare for when it really matters? And you know, as I thought of that, it's a picture of Jesus in the Great Commission. As Jesus with his disciples, he's like, fellas, let's run for three years together. See how this, see what this looks like. Learn from me. Understand the mission of who I am, and uh, what what I'm doing on the planet. And then... Take the torch and then run with some others. And and to the point, make disciples. Disciples, go make disciples until they can run and then pass the torch to them. So that they'll run and pass the torch on to somebody else. And I thought about that and uh, I thought, man, as our church at Kingsway here, we have... One of the greatest opportunities right now as a church, because we have been blessed with an extreme amount of potential of one thing. You know what it is? Children. Man, we have so many children, youth, young adults in this place. Many churches do not have that. And when I think about that, I think, are we being intentional enough about running with that generation in order to pass them the torch so that they will be able to carry on from here and pass it on? I thought about this. There's lots of stuff we passed down. Uh, Maybe some of you were part of a Dutch frugal family that had hand-me-downs. Yeah, amen. And you know, it's terrible, right? Because, well, this thing, it's like the hand-me-downs were either the clothes that that year, you know, older cousins loved so much, they took such good care of it, that finally got passed down to you, and then it fit your younger brother. Uh, or there was stuff that was so ugly, they never wore it, and so, of course, it lasted, and it fit you perfectly. And those were the things that got passed down. But I think about things that got passed down in our life. My dad had this little red tractor when he was a boy, and he saved it all his life because he wanted to give that to his children one day. And he passed that that little red tractor on to us, and we busted it in a week. And he was like, he reminded us and reminded us and reminded us of that little red tractor. And I was like, Dad, you have no idea. And then when I was 12, I got a red uh, RC car. And I saved it, and I saved it, and I saved it. Batteries were too expensive for it, so that's why. And I I saved it, and I was like, I'm going to give this to my children. And I gave it to them, and guess what? They busted it in a week. And I'm like, 
Dad, I know now. I understand your pain. But many of us have passed down big things or have had big things passed down to us. You know, some, for some it's a car, a house, a business, uh, you know, legacy that's been handed down. And I think it's amazing things with those things being passed on. But there's other things we pass on that we don't even realize we're doing it. Uh, we see it through history and through, uh, you know, even just in our, own, in our own areas that the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups get passed on to the next generation. Say things that, you know, uh, walk in the fathers, run in the children. Things like addiction. Man, how many addicts, they've got their first drink out of dad's cabinet. You know how many addicts and, and people that are struggling with brokenness because they raised in a home where there was just brokenness. We pass down a mediocre pursuit of Christ to our children. If we're not passionate about him, how do we think that they're going to be? We pass those things on. As I thought about that, I thought it's so important for us to be intentional about what we pass on to the next generation. And I was reminded of that this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting around with a bunch of guys and one of them said just something just really struck me. He was talking about how his stepdad had just shown him, you know, had shown him that he was loved. He said he wasn't really good at it. He wasn't really good at showing me that he loved me. But uh, there was this moment uh, when he had shared, he says, you know, I was I was beaten by my dad and my dad was beaten by his dad. And it was this spot of like he realized all of a sudden he's like, yeah, but he didn't beat me. If the only thing he did in that whole life was to stop that cycle, he was grateful for it. Here's a man who said intentionally it, it stops here. And I thought about another, you know, a dad who never heard his dad say or rarely heard his dad say, I love you, son. And he said, you know what, I'm going to be intentional about making sure my kids hear it every single day. And he would even ask them, hey, have I told you recently that I love you? Have I told you lately that I love you? They're like, yeah, you told us. And he's like, well, I'm going to tell you again. I love you. Why? Because intentionally saying I'm going to set this up. And what do we call that? Just intentional mentorship. And I think we need to, as a church, have that thought. And so I'm going to give you a few scriptures to take a look at uh, later. But uh, as well, we see it all through scripture. The nation of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm just going to read them. Here you can watch this online later if you, if you, if you can't keep up. De- Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 said this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, he's the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And what does he say? Moses says to them, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you. He speaks it out to the people and says, listen, you're God's people. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to them. And then he says this in verse 7. Repeat them again and again to who? Your children. He's not speaking to parents specifically. He's speaking to the nation saying, hey, you're the nation, the people of God. These are the children of God. This group, repeat these things to their children. And he says, talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what is he saying? You know, this group of people define the truth. They define the truth that the Lord is our God and the Lord alone. There is only one God and it is him. What he says goes. He's the definer of truth because he is truth. He is it. And it was said, we'll repeat this over and over. But what does Moses call them? He says to the people, run your race. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to it. And then make sure you pass it on to the next generation and prepare them to pass the torch as well. And like, well, how do we do that? He's like, pretty clear. Talk to them. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about your faith often. Talk to them about the goodness of the Lord often. Talk to them about what God is doing often. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And if you're here this morning, like, I feel it's kind of like awkward to talk about those things with my kids. Then my question is, have you actually done the first one where you've wholeheartedly committed yourself to him? 
Because I think when you see that happen, man, it affects our life. You know, Frank's family's saying he won't stop talking about it now. Because something grabs hold, and you're like, oh, yeah. You know what? There's one thing that matters. Uh, and a couple of chapters later, he repeats it in Deuteronomy 11. And he says, hey, you know, your kids, they weren't in Egypt. They, they didn't see the slavery. They don't understand what that means. And they also didn't see all the miracles. He's like, he reminds them again to tell them. To tell them. I just want to put this verse up. It says, you, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds, penetrating their hearts with his truth. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, he goes to the list of things again. What is it? He says, man, impress on them the precepts of God. You know what a precept is? A precept is something that regulates behavior and thought. He's like, impress God's behavior and thought on their hearts and on their minds. And I think it's so important for us to understand that today. Because our culture is telling us to do the exact opposite. We live in a culture right now in Canada that says, just let kids think for themselves. Just let them figure out their own lives. Don't, don't indoctrinate your children with your worldview. Don't fill their minds with your outdated morals, your virtues, your ideologies, or your truths. Don't, you know, don't do that. That's what we have screaming at us all the time. And yet scripture tells us, no, 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 teach them, train them, educate, impress these precepts on their hearts and minds. And we have a choice. As a church, what will we do with that? Because guess what? If we don't decide that we're going to impress those things on their hearts, guess who will? The very culture that's telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, is just simply saying, if you won't, we will. We'll impress on them our morals, our worldviews, our fake virtues, our ideologies. We will. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture. It's pervasively attempting to do the very thing that tell us not to do. And so, you know, I ask... This question, do you realize that we are at war for the hearts and minds of our children? Do we realize we are at war for the hearts and minds of our children? Man, we look at schools and we look at all the stuff like this gender ideology and, you know, the LGBTQ agenda. And when I speak of this, I'm not speaking about people. We're not in a war against flesh and blood. We're not in a war against people. Maybe you have family members or friends or maybe you struggle with those, some of those feelings yourself. Jesus loves you. He loves them. This isn't about people. But there is a demonic worldview, an ideology that is attempting to take our kids. And you know why it is? They can't have any kids of their own. They can't produce their own children, so they'll come for ours. And if you find that offensive, well, welcome to truth. I haven't said anything that isn't true. But it's not people. It's our enemy, Satan, the devil. He is after our kids. He's after the kids of this, this generation. And we just said, you know what? No, we realize we're at war. We realize that there isn't an opportunity for us to, to shift the cycle, to say we are going to be intentional about what we put into the hearts and lives of kids. There is one God, and he is the definer of truth. That there is, there is a, there's a purpose in our life to teach, to instruct, to challenge, to encourage and equip our children so that they're ready to carry the torch. Man, the church has been famous for this. That they'll just tell kids, oh, what to think, what to think, what to think, and then they get to university, and university just changes and says, well, no, we think you should think this now. And, the, the, and, and church kids leave the faith. Not here. Not here. So we just believe that God has blessed us with an incredible amount of children. But our heart and thought is that we would take that extremely, um, we, 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 we consider that responsibility and take that with, uh, with uh, uh, the, the, the brevity that it, des- that it deserves. And so 
You know, I think about this. Some parents, say, you know, we talk about it and they're afraid. Like, man, look at our world. It's like it's getting crazy. You're like, what are our, what are our kids going, going into? And can I just leave you with two words? But God. Man, like Moses was born into tyranny. They were already slaves for 400 years, but God. You know, we've got Esther who's like, everything's about to change in her, in her life for her people, but God. Joseph, you know, living, sold as a slave, but God. Daniel's lived most of his lifetime in, in, in exile, but God. Why? Because it doesn't really matter about what our kids are facing in the scenario of our worlds. What matters is, does the Spirit of God live in them? Indwell them, fill them, move through them. And I think that's a, our goal is we don't are not to live in fear of what's going on around us in our world. But just simply let's just equip our kids to know the Lord and allow them to shine as he desires. Because the truth is the, the leaders of our country, the leaders of the church, the church is all meeting out in those classrooms and downstairs in those classrooms right now. He already knows. He's already calling. He's already equipping. And, uh, you know, for us, it's that sense of saying, will we be intentional about it? Moses did it as he's speaking to these words to Joshua. Joshua, he said those famous words. As for me and my house, we will. Yeah, he's like, we'll do it. We're going to do that. We're intentional about that. You can look up these verses later. Judges 2, verse 6 to 7. And a few verses later, Judges 2, verse 10. We see that Joshua did it in his generation, but the next generation dropped the baton and they didn't acknowledge the Lord. And so the question for us is, will we be like the ones who say, no, we're intentionally going to do this? It may not be popular, but we don't care. We know that we will certainly live to please him and serve him. And we take it seriously that we want to pass a baton to somebody who's ready to take it, that we'll run with them for a season of of life so that they're ready to take it. I'll leave you with this thought. We desire that the next generation would know Christ and know community. That they would find both of those things. That they would know and experience Him for themselves not just hear about it. Paul encouraged Timothy to be a passionate and to be intentional about passing the torch. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, last verse, it says this, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. So now you, Timothy, teach these truths to the other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them down to others. Simply our heart and our goal and our mission here at Kingsway is to take that extremely, extremely seriously. You know, I was thinking about that. It's harvest time right now. I'm driving around to see combines and all kinds of stuff. And I was reminded of Luke 10 where Jesus said to his disciples, hey, look around you. Look at the people and realize that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And I thought, man, that's so true today. Like we had our first night of youth and junior youth and we got like 76 kids here. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. (laughs) And you know what he'd say? Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more laborers. And, you know, that is our prayer as a church is that people would be stirred up on the inside to realize, wait a second, there's another generation here. I may not know it all, have it all, understand it all, but I understand that there's an enemy out for them. And, Lord, you can move through me and I want to be a part of reaching that next generation and passing on the torch to them. And so we're praying for laborers. We're praying for soldiers. We're praying for men and women to live on mission, that your hearts would be stirred for that. And if you're sitting here like, well, just kind of waiting for somebody to ask me to, you know, to be a part of kids ministry or part of youth ministry. We're asking. This is the ask right, right here, right now. That if something stirs in your heart today, you're like, you know what? It wasn't just because that guy was like passionate and yelling at us. It was because I felt something here. Something clicked for me. I'm like, yes, I, I, Lord, I don't fully know, but I want to be a part of this. And so we're asking. 
We're asking that you would, you know, we think about, we think about the, 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 the opportunity we have. And so, you know, we, even as a, as a whole, maybe just a couple final thoughts. This year we're starting a school. Um, because we just believe that parents should be taking their kids out of the public school system where they're being trained in an ideology more than in information and education and get them out. We know that not every parent can do that. And so we feel like this year we're starting a test school. Would you pray for us? Because we believe by next year that we'll have the opportunity to have a school that if any parent says, you know what, I, I don't fully know what I'm doing, but I, wanna, I want to take this journey, that they would have people come alongside them and help them and walk with them so that these kids would have the Lord's precepts diligently and on their hearts and on their minds. And then, you know, we uh, said even with our kids ministry, we've been looking for kids church curriculum that doesn't just give little moral lessons, but helps children know Christ. We can't find it anywhere. So we partnered with a church and my sister-in-law decided, you know what? I can't find it. I'm just going to write it. And my sister-in-law, Tracy, began to write curriculum. And today is the first day downstairs where they're using this curriculum to say, let's get kids to know Christ for themselves. That the enemy no longer is in the dark, just creeping around like, oh, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just be invisible. Now we see, we see it, we know it. We just say, not here, not here. You might do it everywhere else, but not here. We will run with these kids. We will pass the torch. We will intentionally mentor. We'll do whatever it takes that they might know Christ for themselves, even at a cost to us. Man, I pray that stirs in your heart today because we need you. The next generation needs you. And I pray that you would consider that and join us on this mission. You know, our kids ministry is always looking for, uh, for volunteers. That shouldn't be the case here because it's the major thing for us to say, yeah, as a church, we understand. We're here to find Christ, find community and reach that next generation. I pray that you, you know, as he stirs that in your heart, that maybe you're like, well, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head over to kids church and, and, uh, or to Saturday nights and serve there. Or I'm going to, you know what, sign me up. I don't know what I'm doing, but men, especially men. I don't know if you realize this, but those young boys are looking for men, not who have it all together, but men who are like, you know what, I'm following Christ and this is what, this is what it looks like for me. We're not going to make you, you know, go out and do all kinds of crazy stuff. We're not going to make you teach. We're not going to make you do any of that stuff to just be there and say, you know what, I, I love you guys enough. I'm just going to be here. I love you enough. I'm going to be here. We walk together. I'll leave it at that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives and what you're doing in this place. Jesus, I thank you that you're real today. We see your power at work in real lives. Thank you for Frank and what you're doing in his life. Thank you for Jesse and what you're doing through his life. Thank you for Zach. Lord, thank you for each and every person because I believe you're working in every heart here. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this little church in the country, calling us to be your church. Lord, I pray that you help us to see what truly matters in this life. That we would see that, that we would embrace that, and we would run with that. Father, help us to be known for who we're for, not what we're against. But may we truly take that to heart. We pray over our kids today. Father, we know that they're your kids first. We just pray over them that your blessing and your favor and your anointing and your presence would be over their lives today. That they might know you, whom to know is life eternal. And Jesus, pray as we walk through this life that our eyes would be, that we would have your eyes. We would see people the way you see them. Lord, and that our hearts would be moved with compassion like yours and that we wouldn't realize that we need your strength alone to carry us through and to have anything of value to give, it's you. Lord, help us just to pour you out to those around us. I just pray this in your name. Amen.